Good morning, Sweetwater Christian Church, and good morning, everybody watching online. We're glad that you could join us in worship this morning as well. Uh, I'm Zane Goggins. I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad to be with you to share the love and word of God with you this morning. Let's pray. Let's ask God for receptive hearts and minds to receive his love and word. Father, we ask for eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that receive your love and your word this morning. I ask that everything I made up, everything that came out of my brain, won't be remembered by anybody else's. But Father, I ask that everything you have to say to us this morning would be received with gladness and joy. Shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we and the world might know who he is. We do love you. We ask for the grace to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're following the lectionary and the church calendar. Uh, In the beginning of the calendar year, the lectionary always seems to kind of point us to the same stories, um, as if sort of to make a a point. So last week we saw uh, the baptism of Jesus, and it's always the baptism of Jesus on that week. Uh, this week seems to be more often than not about Jesus getting his first disciples and getting his ministry really rolling. Uh, and that's not by accident. And it's not because there's nothing else to talk about either. We follow the lectionary in the church calendar because it gets us into the habit about living our patterns around the pattern of Jesus rather than all the other patterns that demand so much from us, about living around Jesus' story rather than the other stories that you and I are prone to revolving our lives around. Uh, We may hear certain stories over and over again, not because there aren't enough stories to go around, but to make the story of Jesus our story. So, uh, we follow the lectionary because of that. to make his life one with ours. As, as we learned last week, Jesus identifies with us. And one way that we continue to identify with him is to live in a way where his life is always informing our lives. We got to hear it more than once or twice or ten times to remain in the story of Jesus because our lives will be shaped by the stories that we submit to the most. So our lives will revolve around the stories that we tell ourselves the most. If we're obsessed with cable news or politics, then our lives are definitely going to show that. If we find out that, or if we find our worth and our value in the work we produce or the things we create, then definitely our lives are going to show that. And if all of our happiness comes from how well or how badly our favorite teams are doing, our lives are going to show it. We all have stories that we tell ourselves and that we're shaped by. I love basketball. I love basketball. And my favorite team is horrible right now. Regardless of having the best coach ever and the number one overall pick, we're horrible right now. I get it. And we all have those stories that aren't the main story that are shaping us and molding us. But as long as it's the main story, the story of Jesus that is taking first place in our hearts, 
then our lives are going to reflect that. So that's why we're in the lectionary, uh, to keep us in the main story. Speaking of being shaped by way of reminding, I already said this in announcements, but more people have trickled in. Next week is our annual Vision Sunday. At least once a year, we need to be reminded of the people God has called us to be and is stretching us to become. That's, there, there's like the big story of Jesus that we hear in the sermon every single week. That's the big story, but there's also the smaller, more specific story of how we live out that big story in community, and that's what our vision is. The things God has made us good at and the things he wants us stretched in. We are a community that communes with God, loves one another, and serves the world. That's how we specifically live out the big story of Jesus in our context. So, uh, we start big with the story of Jesus, and then we get smaller and more specific and live it out. So that's next week for Vision Sunday. This week, though, Jesus is picking his disciples. So we'll be in John 1, 43 through 51. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. There's Bibles in front of you or under you. Probably one on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that paper copy home. And if you want to learn the Bible and read it together, you can email me and set up a time or bring it up in your new small group. John 1, 43 through 51. For context of this passage... This is really the first bit of action that we see in the book of John. So John, he's not like the other Gospels. The other Gospels are called the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called synoptic because they kind of copy each other. They're very similar. All the stories are practically the same. Not John. John's very different. Uh, You would say in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus has three years of ministry. John, he just has one. That's it. And totally different order of stories, and even different stories altogether. But John starts his gospel with some big, cosmic, theological truths about Jesus. He starts really, really big, as big as the universe itself. And then John sort of brings all that hugeness, all that cosmic truth, hard to wrap our heads around reality of who Jesus is, and he brings it down into the person of Jesus. So Jesus gets baptized and now he's off to find people to begin ministry with, the ministry of reconciling the whole world, that whole world that he created back to God. And so uh, today Jesus is going to get really specific with one of the people that we're going to meet today. That's where we pick up. John 1, 43 through 51. I'm reading in the NRSV this week. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus son of Joseph, from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. 
And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said, Now here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even called you. And Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. There's a pretty clear parallel in this passage. You heard the opening passage, which was Genesis chapter 28, and we heard of Jacob's dream where there's a ladder set up on the earth, and it goes all the way to heaven, and there's angels going up and down on the ladder as if to say, God sends his messengers on this medium, this thing. And here's Jesus saying, I'm the medium, I'm the ladder, I'm the one who connects heaven and earth. But I think there's also something really important to get at. So we'll get to that. Jesus is gathering up people who would eventually become known as the 12 disciples, the 12 people who would follow him, learn from him closely during his earthly ministry. And John begins with Jesus's origins, how he's God in the beginning, he's God right now, how he's the light of all people, how he's the word of God, the logos of God. And each gospel starts differently. And we saw last week that Mark begins with Jesus's baptism as a way of saying Christian life begins with baptism. And John takes a different approach, talking more cosmologically. He says all life begins with Jesus. That's, That's his big theological statement. And he also mentions the baptism, but he starts all the way up in the heavens and the stars, and the creation, and the whole world, and then he gets really small. Everything seen and unseen has its beginning in Jesus, and now the light of all people and the Word of God is is going on a search, and he's searching for people uh, who he'll train up and eventually leave his ministry to. And so Jesus finds his first disciples who are hanging out with J the B, John the Baptist, and the Jordan River, and their names are Andrew. Uh, And Andrew has a brother, and his brother's name is Peter, and those two brothers tend to stick together, and so Peter and Andrew become the first disciples. And then the three go to Galilee, which is a mountainous and hilly region in the north of Israel by a lake called the Sea of Galilee. And in Galilee, Jesus picks up a third disciple. His name is Philip. It was really easy to pick up Philip. Jesus just said, follow me, and Philip's like, okay. And Philip, he knows a guy who he thinks would also do the same thing. And so he goes out, and he finds his buddy, Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel, by all accounts, seems like a pretty good guy. We honestly don't know a lot about him. He's only ever mentioned here and in John chapter 21, and that's really it. He's, he's not mentioned in any of the other Gospels, and at least not by the name Nathaniel. 
Okay, Nathaniel is, is not listed as one of the 12 disciples, but Bartholomew is. They might be the same person. We do, there's, there's some good scholarly reasons to believe that Nathaniel here in John is the same person in, as Bartholomew and Mark and, and Matthew. And you might be thinking, what? And I say, trust me. <laughs> so Bartholomew is likely a last name. Nathaniel is likely a first name. And Bartholomew always seems to be hanging out with Philip in the other Gospels. All that to say, uh, they might be the same person, but there's also a lot of people who don't think they're the same person. Like St. Augustine, you've heard of that guy. He doesn't seem to think that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same person. So I think there's some theopoetic beauty in not trying to mesh Nathaniel and Bartholomew together. And if we don't really know either way, I try to take it at face value, and I think Nathaniel is a stand-in for any of us. A stand-in for random people like you and me who happen to take up a friend on a call to come see Jesus for themselves. But regardless of who Nathaniel is, what is more important is the kind of person he is. He's an honest person. That's the first thing Jesus notice about, notices about him as he walks towards him. And, and yeah, maybe Nathaniel isn't really prone to telling lies, but I don't really think that's what John is really talking about here. In the same sentence, Jesus emphasizes that Nathaniel is an Israelite. He's, he's a Jew among Jews. He's someone who belongs to God and loves God. Someone who loves the words of God and takes the words of God very, very seriously. And I think Jesus is commenting on Nathaniel's devotional life. Why? Because the way Philip convinced him to even come see Jesus in the first place. <clears throat> by telling him that they found the person that Moses and the law and the prophets are all writing about. There's a person we're looking for, and I think we found him. The guy that we've been reading about and praying for and waiting for. I think I found him. You should come and see. Come and see what? Well, the one that they've studied, the one that they've prayed about, the one that the Scripture's talking about. Nathaniel has a devotional life, one that informs him about who Jesus is. And he meets Jesus, and because of his devotion to God and the scriptures, he's able to see that the Son of God is standing right in front of him. Philip invited him to come and see, and he saw. His devotional life led him straight to Jesus. His study of scripture led him straight to Jesus. He is seeking Jesus, and wouldn't you know it, seeking Jesus led him straight to Jesus. The thing that strikes me the most about Nathaniel is that he really knows the Bible. He really knows the Bible. But he's not pretentious about it. He's not a a Theo bro. You know what a Theo bro is? They're the the guys, almost exclusively guys, uh, on Twitter, and they're always arguing over finer points of theology that they don't really know much about, but... Anyway, 
That's a Theo bro. They, they know a lot. They may even be devotional people, but they use their knowledge in a way that sort of belittles other people. Not Nathaniel. Nathaniel's not a Theo bro. He isn't pretentious. Nathaniel is just serious. He's just serious. He's got good intentions. He takes God's words seriously. He knows the Messiah is the true king. Moses and the law and the prophets speak very highly about this coming king. And important people, from, they come from important places. And so he figures, you know, I think that the Messiah is probably going to come from a place like Jerusalem or maybe some other high society place. And so when he hears Philip say that Jesus comes from Nazareth, well, Nathaniel gets a little skeptical. He's skeptical that anything good can actually come out of Nazareth, much, much less the, the king of Israel, a town of maybe 100 people, 150, little town full of non-Jews that do a lot of commerce, little bumpkin town up north. Literally nobody would say the Messiah comes from Nazareth. It's, it's like saying the king of the universe is from Putnam, Texas. Does anybody know where Putnam, Texas is? Exactly. Nobody knows where Putnam, Texas is. I know where Putnam, Texas is. It's a town of about 60 people in Callahan County. It's a county that Jesse and I got married in. Right off of I-20 as you just kind of pass through and you're on your way to Fort Worth. The only thing Putnam is really known for was the Judgment Day, May 21st, 2011 billboard that they had up for a long time. That's what, that's what Putnam is known for. Not a place with a high theological reputation. Could be a great town, but everyone who drives by it remembers that sign and they don't think much of Putnam anymore. You could say Nathaniel's got some theological preconceived notions about the little town that Jesus is from too. So, uh, is he a man who is devout? Yes. Is he a knowledgeable man? Yes. Is he someone who loves God? Yes. Is he a man who also almost let some preconceived notions get in front of a holy moment between him and God? Yes. Did that stop Jesus? No. Instead, Jesus says something nice about him. He noticed him. And he did something only Nathaniel would take as a sign that he is the Son of God. Here's the beauty of the story of Nathaniel for people like him. Jesus isn't bothered by skeptical people. Jesus isn't bothered by folks who need to see to believe. And Jesus sure isn't bothered by our preconceived notions of him. Remember, we truly don't know who Nathaniel is. He could be any one of us. Any one of us with some doubts, any one of us with some skepticism, and any one of us with some preconceived notions about who Jesus really could be. 
If you find yourself more skeptical than not, if you need to see to believe, even if someone in the church is really annoyed by you or doesn't welcome your skepticism, Jesus isn't annoyed by you and he unconditionally welcomes you. You don't have to have all the right ideas for Jesus to notice you. You don't have to know everything for Jesus to show up that, and to tell you everything he knows about you. He welcomes those who need to see to believe, and he faithfully shows up. And when he faithfully shows up, as you take that offer to come and see, people tend to change. Like I said, there's a lot of things that this text can be about. One of the things that it is definitely about is back to that reference back in Genesis 28. Jacob has a weird dream, angels coming up and down on a ladder up to heaven, and this text is a big theological statement about Jesus, that he is the ladder, he is the mediator between heaven and earth, and that's the big picture of what this text is talking about. But I also think that there's some things here in John intended for us to meditate on. Things that aren't just good scriptural cross-referencing. Not everything in the Bible is exclusively about the big picture. The authors of these texts are smarter and craftier and more loving than that. Yes, we could have done some cool cross-referencing this morning and found a, a lot of great Old Testament parallels, but I also think that John is drawing us to that one simple phrase in the story. A little phrase that says just as much about Jesus theologically as the big cross-referencing does. The three little words, come and see. Come and see. There is something deeply personal about that offer. Come and see. It's, it's deeply personal and I can see how it would be somewhat intimidating as well. The offer isn't to come and be taught by a pastor or a professor. It isn't to come and read a good theological book. The offer isn't even to come and read your Bible more, even though I, I think that that's probably part of it. It was for Nathaniel, at least. The offer is to come and see for yourself. You can learn from a pastor or professor and, and still walk away unchanged. You can read some really good theology or hear a really good podcast that may help you in your faith journey and then not remember any of it by next week. And you can read your Bible every day, front to back, and not know the one who the Bible talks about. That was Nathaniel's problem. The offer is to come and see, there's something real to behold. Not theoretical, something real. Jesus is more than someone to read about or talk about. Jesus is someone to see. And I'm not just putting words in John's mouth here. In just these eight verses, John uses the word see or saw six times. Six times. Yeah, this text is about other things, but John is also telling us that Jesus is someone you need to see for yourself. This is where it, it might be intimidating, where, where we, 
We can't hide behind the teachings of somebody else or some books or our infrequent study of Scripture. And as we develop our armchair skepticisms and we develop our preconceived notions about Jesus from a distance, Jesus from a distance is comfortable for just about anybody. But where Nathaniel was changed was when he got out of his comfortable armchair and he stopped hiding behind all the theological things he knew and he gave Jesus the space to show him who he was. And in an instant, he goes from skeptic to worshiper. All those years in his comfy armchair and in an instant, communion with God himself happened and Jesus filled in the blanks. Don't let other people try to tell you who Jesus is. That ruins the point of the offer. The offer is for you to come and see for yourself. Jesus won't be annoyed by you. And he isn't going to be unwelcoming to you. If you give the offer to come and see for yourself a heartfelt shot, What our text is saying to us today is that Jesus meets us on the other side of that offer. The story of Nathaniel is as much about Nathaniel as it is about us, I think. Some random dude who's barely ever talked about gets an offer that he doesn't regret taking. You and I may be the random dudes and dudettes of history, comfortable in our theological armchairs of skepticism to the point of full-on doubt, maybe even. But that offer Nathaniel got is an offer that you and I get faced with all the time. We may, know, may we know the difference between hiding behind the teachings of someone else and coming face-to-face with Jesus himself where we go from skeptic to worshiper. Let's pray. And then we will have communion together as a family. (coughs) Father, I thank you that you aren't annoyed by us. You aren't annoyed with our preconceived notions of you. The things that might get in the way of a holy moment with you. Father, I pray that you will give us the discernment and the wisdom to know when that offer is being extended to us, to come and see you for ourselves. For when communion with you is more than just theory, but it's reality. God, I ask that your presence in our face-to-face meetings would change us. I pray that you would help us to not be in our armchairs, but to come and see you for ourselves so that we can worship you right in front of you. We love you, and we ask for the grace to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.